Well, what does a real dad look like? You know, some of you think you've got it all worked out and you know exactly what a dad's supposed to look like. And you've seen on the video, and I didn't view it in the early service, but they, your children, and they have a view. They have an idea what a real dad's supposed to look like. Well, in Psalms 28, we're going to look at uh, six verses that I think give us a fair description of what a real dad ought to look like. Before I, or after I get through, you'll probably say, where'd you get all that? Well, some of it's life experience, you know, some of it's just the fact that uh, I, I believe in, you know, someone said, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy with you and your wife as dad? You know, and, and naturally want to be right, but we want to be happy too, right? So, we'll be dealing with a little bit of that. But Psalms 128 says, How happy, this is the New Living Translation, How happy are those who fear the Lord, all who follow His ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How happy you'll be. How rich your life will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine, flourishing within your home. And look at all those children. They are that there they sit around your table as vigorous and healthy as young olive trees. That is the Lord's reward for those who fear him. May the Lord continually bless you from Zion. May you see Jerusalem prosper as long as you live. And may you live to enjoy your grandchildren. And may Israel have quietness and peace. Years ago, a person stood on the side of a road here in the States watching a funeral procession go by. He, along, if you had been there with him, would have been extremely impressed because standing there stood the President of the United States with his head bowed, his hat removed, tears in his eyes, and he stood there as our commanding chief. This was years ago. And around him was his cabinet officers, a cabinet, his officers and members of Congress, dignitaries from Berlin, London, Tokyo, and Washington, D.C. There was a tremendous crowd watching as the casket, draped with old glory, went down the road in the funeral procession. In fact, there was such dignity, awe, and respect that if you had not seen or been there and not seen the president, you would think that maybe this was the funeral of the president. That impressive. But he was so loved, this person was, and revered. And even though this man was not an elected officer, he wasn't wealthy, he did make a name for himself in society and in the world in popularity. You say, well, who is that man? I'll share with you in a minute who he was, and you're probably still not going to know who he was, but still, it's interesting to note that this guy did take a government service job. He did move out of the United States. And uh, he worked in Tripoli. He died in Tripoli. And then they had his funeral in Tripoli, a big one, and then had him shipped back, his body shipped back to the United States, where they too gave him great high honor from the dignitaries in America. His name, John Howard Payne. Some of you go, well, that don't mean anything to me. Well, but this might. You see, he was famous for this phrase. Mid pleasures and palaces, though oft I may roam, 
Be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. You know what he wrote, and, uh, but you didn't know really the person. Many of you have walked in here, and he was honored, and many of you dads are being honored. And, and look, all throughout the United States, in churches all around, people are being they're honoring dads. Dads who we may not know their names, dads who are not elected officials. And after last Wednesday night, bless God, I don't know if I want to go into politics as a pastor. I, and I don't hear a whole lot about his, uh, him being an elected official, but, you know, if that, anyway... We're not wealthy. Maybe you're not filthy rich. Maybe you're not even important. But still, nonetheless, you're a real dad with a real wife, with real children. And I have real grandchildren. You heard some of them on the screen. A census was working in the hills of Tennessee. He walked up to one uh, aluminum top shed where a woman was sitting on the step. After introducing himself, the census taker said, Ma'am, how many children do you have? She said, I have four. The census taker then says, Well, can I please have their names, please? She said, Absolutely. Any, many, Miney, and George. Confused as he was, he felt like he knew the, the fourth name. He looked at the lady and he said, Ma'am, he said, Why did you name your fourth child George? She said, because we didn't want any more. (laughs) Well, maybe you've gotten to that point in your life where, you know what? I finished my family. I've had all I'm going to have. And this is it. You know? But understand, I'm a firm believer that the Bible says if you want to be blessed by God, pray that he give you a quiver full. Now, last time I checked, that was somewhere around 11 to 13 kids. Some of you go, I don't want any more, okay? That's how you feel. One father was, walked into a shoe store, and uh, he said, sir, bring me a size eight. The guy was a pretty good shoe salesman. He looked at his foot, and he said, sir, I, I believe you're wrong. You wear 11 and 12. He said, son, bring me a size eight. I don't care what, just bring it. So the guy said, okay. He brought the shoe out there, and that dad he crammed both of his feet into that shoes, and he had obvious pain all over his feet. He turned to the salesman, and he said, I've lost my house to the IRS. I live with my mother-in-law. My wife just ran off with my best friend. My business has filed cha- chapter 7, and the only pleasure I have left is to come home at night and take my shoes off. Well, I'll admit that being a father sometimes is painful. Now, some of you are fathering from remembrance. That is, you've gotten to the grandchild stage. My, my boys say, I can no longer remember because some of the things that I do and I let my grandkids do, my boys say, I beat the tar out of them for letting them do that. That may be true. You know, maybe I have a touch of old-timer or Alzheimer. I, I don't know. But we are definitely a little bit more lenient with our grandkids than I was my kids. You know, I love to use my belt. And uh, my wife, she says, well, let me discipline them. The problem was she would take the belt 
And I'd hear them hollering, oh, oh. And I walked in, and I said, hey, she's killing them. And she was hitting the bed and said, now holler, holler. I said, no, that's not the way to whip the kids. That's not. But, you know, fatherhood is changing. Would you admit? Would you admit that, that being a father today is a little different maybe than it was years ago? Did you know that in 1900, a father's horsepower meant his horses? Today, it means the size of the minivan or the USV. In 1900, if a father put a roof over his family head, he was a, he was a success. Today, it means not only put a roof over your head, but a deck and a pool and a four-car garage. In 1900, a father waited for the doctor to tell him when the baby arrived. Today, a father wears a smock, knows how to breathe, how to cut the cord, and makes sure films in the video camera and taking pictures of the whole thing and not pass out. In the 1900, fathers passed passed down their clothes to their sons. Today, kids wouldn't touch dad's clothes if they were sliding naked down an icicle in sub-zero weather. In 1900, fathers could count on their children to join the family business. But today, they pray their kids will come home long enough from college to teach them how to use their phones, computers, and program the DVR. In 1900, a father came home from work to find his wife and children around the supper table. Today, a father comes home to a note. Jimmy's at baseball, Cindy's at gymnastics, and I am exercising your pizzas in the fridge. Let's face it. Today, leave it to Beaver. Father knows best is gone. And if by chance you have one of those golden nuggets of the past, Lord of mercy, don't let go of her. Because even in her worst hour of Alzheimer, she'll be a good one. Don't let go of her. Keep her. She's a good one. Well, after all, being a dad has changed, okay? But some things I believe biblically don't change. The first one I believe, according to our text, that does not change is that the dad, being a real dad, and what one looks like is to be the head of the home. Now, before you guys poke your chest out and you start strutting your stuff, I am the man in my house. We're going to find out in a minute. I am the, I am the boss. I mean, what, what goes on in my house? Yeah, you're the one that, what goes on in your house if your wife lets you, right? I mean, come on. You see, verse 2 says that you will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How happy you will be. How rich is your life. You see, the you in verse 2 is us, fathers. We're to be leaders of the band. We're to be uh, spiritual leaders. We're to be uh, godly men of our wives and our children. And it was God's plan all along that you and I be the head. Ephesians 5.23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife. Now, here's the kicker. As also Christ is the head of the church. You want to be the head, then be like Jesus. I guarantee you guys, if you're like Jesus, your wife's going to sit down and say, Help yourself. Lead on. You look like the Lord here. But instead, we just like to be, hear the words, be submissive. You know, the word submissive is an interesting word 
Because if you know what the word servant means, you know that both of us, husband and wives, if we're going to be great in the kingdom, have been called to be a servant to one another. Not one over the other or the, uh, or the other over the one. We're equally in this thing together, working together. The responsibility of being ahead is, is a tremendous responsibility. Some of you wives say, well, that's a little male chauvinist. Well, it might be if you feel like you're always the one got to be right. But oftentimes men can't lead because women won't let them. Now, I've sat down to, and I've heard women say this. Well, my husband just don't speak. He don't talk. After being around him for 20 minutes, I found out why. He can't get a word in edgewise. The wife won't shut up. Now, some of you women say, well, he's just hurting my feelings. Well, it's the truth. If you're a motor mouth and you won't let your husband speak, then understand that he's not talking maybe because he doesn't have nothing to say. He can't find a, a, a crook or a cranny to get in and share it. So maybe every once in a while, just stop long enough and let him speak. Then some of you guys, when you do, maybe it was better she was talking. I, I don't know. But one of the things I think is bad that, that's going on in our society in America today is that men have abandoned the home. They're shirking the responsibilities of being leader of head of the family. Proverbs 27 verse 8 says, Like a bird that wanders from its nest is a man who wanders from his place. You see, the happiest men that I know are faithful husbands, devoted fathers who give spiritual leadership to their home and the wives gladly, they're happy to get it. it. I've been told by researchers that one out of every five homes are maintained by a woman with no father figure in it at all. Now look, my objective today is not to slam you single moms, but I, I gotta be honest with you. God did not call you single moms to be a father. I'm even gonna be stronger than that. You single moms cannot be a father. You'll never make it. Dads, if you're trying to do it on your own, more power to you. But dads will never take the place of moms. You just can't do it. You weren't wired that way, and God didn't make you that way. And you need to understand that God has a purpose, I believe, for us to be in together. The study, there was a study where 370 men were gra- who graduated from the university. These men were successes in society. Armed with degrees from Harvard, they went out into their respective vocations and succeeded. Yet many of them were scarred and wounded by fathers who were not there for them emotionally for them when they were growing up. These findings convinced me, anyway, the psychological or physical absence of fathers from their families is one of the greatest underestimated tragedies of our time. Dads play a very important and significant role. And if they're not there, your children will be the only ones that suffer. Well, how is a dad to be the head of the home? Genesis 3.19 says this. The, the fall of man... The Bible tells us man was condemned to eat bread from the what? The sweat of his brow. In our verse, chapter 2, the King James Version says, Psalms 128, For thou shalt eat the the labor of thine hands 
and happy shall thy be. You see, your kid, your child, your children need to know from you the work ethic. I, I, I don't want to be ugly, but by golly, there's a lot of people that's being supported by the government that all be working. And the reason your children grow up, and, and you heard them on the, on the screen, I know what my daddy is, I know what my daddy does, and if you don't do anything, that's exactly what they see. In my opinion, and I believe the Bible teaches this, nowhere are we ever to retire from labor in the Lord. Nowhere are we able to lay it down and say, I'm going to fish every day. By the way, everybody that I've ever talked to that retired that said they was going to fish every day got tired of it about a week after retirement. And then they won't do something else. A lot of them will get another job. Why? Because that's the way you're wired. You're not wired if you're godly to be lazy and not enjoy the labor of your hand. A group of men wants to ask a little boy, what are you going to be, my boy, when you've reached manhood years? A doctor, a lawyer, an orator, great, moving crowds to laughter and tears. But he shook his head as he gave reply in a serious way he had. I don't want to be any of those. I just want to be like my dad. Now, let me ask you a very important question. If your kids grow up and become just like you are right now, What kind of person are they going to be? Are they going to believe in the work ethic? Because you show them? What are they going to do? And I think it's important that physically they should be taken care of as head of the home, but spiritually as well. Verse 2 says, it shall be, also the promises that it shall be well with thee. Verse 1 says, blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord and that walketh in his ways. Verse 4 says, behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. In verse 5, the Lord shall bless thee out of Zion. You want to know how to be happy? You want to know how to have a happy home? Then be the spiritual leader. You know, I'm finding out that very few people have ever read the Bible through. They've just never done it. Maybe you've never been challenged. Well, Dad, if you want to be a spiritual leader in your home, I'll give you some good ammunition. Read the Bible through in a year. Commit yourself. I've read it eight times through, and every time I read it through, I learn something different. And I'm going to tell you something. The hardest thing you'll ever do is follow through that commitment for a whole year. It, I don't care what you do. It'll be the toughest one you'll ever commit to and yourself unto the Lord and make it happen. Well, then the Scripture also says we need to commit domestically as the leader of our house or our home. In verse 28, it talks about the wife being the fruitful vine. It implicates that she produces a number of children. Not that are a burden, but are a blessing. How do you look at your children? Now, I'll tell you something. I do love my grandkids. Ain't no question about it. And sometimes I think my boys, they sit back here and say, Dad, Dad, remember me? Remember when you used to want to? Throw the ball with me, and and, and it is true, I am consumed by my grandkids. But when Nana walks in the room, I go to zero. 
Now, I've learned to accept that. I take my times when Nana ain't around, and I am the king pawpaw. But now when Nana shows up, where's Nana? I want to be with Nana. I want to go with Nana. And pawpaw goes to the bottom of the chart, but it don't matter. It don't matter. Because that's just the way, for some reason or another, grandkids are wired. But you see, you and I, as, uh, as, as leaders, as real dads, we ought to understand that the Bible talks about us being a blessing and that children are a heritage of the Lord. Now, we've all heard this statement. If mama ain't happy, yeah, you're probably that way at your house, ain't it? Well... The psalmist declares that in the home which honors God the wife will find enjoyment in all that she does. Then that should be the cause of every man to seek and serve the Lord. And what's the result of that? A result of that is to have mama happy. Now, to me, I think that's real important. And I don't want to do it in a false way. I don't want to do it in a hypocritical way. I just want my wife to be happy. And so the only way your wife is wired to be ultimately happy, if you two are believers, is for you to be serving God and loving your family in the right way. Children are referred to as olive plants around that table, which is, speaks of, of maturity and profitability. And then in verse 6, it says, it talks about that us being the leader around our children's children, which, of course, is our grandchildren. Well, let's look at the second thing. Not only should a husband be the head of the home, but the Bible in Psalms 28 talks about the heart of the home. I want you to look at it. Your wife, the scripture says in verse 3, shall be like a fruitful vine. Someone has defined the home as a house with a heart on the inside. The heart of your home, if you have one, is your wife. I think that's significant because I think we need to understand verses like Proverbs 19, 14 that says, Houses and riches are an inheritance from the fathers, but listen to this, but a prudent wife. What is a prudent wife? A wife with understanding. You see, a prudent wife is from the Lord. So often we take this precious gift, and it is a gift of our children and our wives, and we take it for granted. I'm going to tell you something. Fred Bacher found out last night. I know he preached a ridiculous message while he's here, but he's still my best friend. I didn't agree with what some of the analogies he's using. I'll tell you publicly. But my heart goes out to him because last night he walked in the bedroom and found his daughter dead in the bed. Now, the only help that he had, and he had, she has four kids. Uh, his daughter. And the only help he had to help his wife, who's in the third stage of Alzheimer's, to make sure she takes her medicines right now, she is now dead. He's got his hands full. New work, cowboy church. He does video, uh, cowboy show in Dothan and, and that goes out in Panama City. Crazy bird. Works with a lot of crazy birds. But now he's in a trial, in a test for his life. You know what? He loves his wife, and his wife looked at him, and she started crying not long ago. And she said, he said, baby, what are you crying? She said, I just don't want to forget who you are. See, she's going to forget eventually 
who he is. And so understand that we've got a short time on this earth, and, and we need to take advantage of that. Two men were talking one day, and one other one said, you know what, I just got a brand new beagle for my wife. The other one said, boy, I wish I could make a trade like that. Well, that's not quite, I don't know what he meant. But if your wife doesn't feel any more important than a good hunting dog, I'll tell you what you're not. Now, some of you in here, Kenny, you're even kind of just, you're trying to flex your muscle. I'm an irresistible man. In my house, I am the man. I'm irresistible. Well, if your wife thinks that your hunting dog is more important than she is, you're not irresistible. You're illogical. Now, I looked that up in, in the Webster's Dictionary, and to the, the word illogical means you're wrong. You are incorrect. You are unreasonable. Well, does a man not down deep want to be irresistible in his home, especially to his wife? Well, I'm not going to spend, I'm just going to share with you two things because I could get into deep of it, but this is Father's Day. This ain't Mother's Day. But guys, if you really want to be irresistible, then your wife must receive affection. You say, and some of you go, what's that? Well, that's what your wife looks at you and says. You see, it means you're to show her that you care about her. Through words, cards, flowers, gifts, common courtesies, hugs and kisses. A lot of them. I heard one guy say one day, well, I'll tell you what, I kissed my wife and told her I loved her when I married her. And if anything changed, I told her I'd tell her. You don't understand affection one bit. I can tell you that right now. <clears throat> Especially from the viewpoint of your wife. And then the second one's conversation. You see, you got to learn to set aside some time to talk to her. Yeah, I'm talking about the one you married. You know, the one that said for sick, sickness and health until death do you part. Believe it or not, you're supposed to talk to her. And she needs you to talk to her. She needs for you to communicate with her about the kids, about her feelings, about... And, and she, needs, she needs room. If you're going to be an irresistible man... She needs room to be able to tell you how she feels, not just positive, but sometimes sliding over to things that may not be going right. Well, I don't know of an irresistible man that don't have a woman that wants to be irresistible too. Amen? You women want to be irresistible, don't you? Say amen. Oh, you know me too well. I'm setting you up. Because I'm going to give for the sake of dad's Five characteristics emotionally that they need out of you so you can be, in their eyes, an irresistible woman. The bionic female in your husband's eyes. Number one, you must give him sexual fulfillment. Now look, I got kids in here and it messes me up every time. They need SEX. Now, I got a four-year-old that can spell that, so that didn't do any good, I know. But you get the point, don't you? You guys need that. Well, they also need recreational companionship. 
And you guys are going, now you're in a foreign language. Some of you know what that is, and you go, preacher, please don't tell them that. Because you like to go hunting by yourself. Why? Because you don't like to talk. Let me tell you, women, a secret about your husband. He will open up better when he is recreationally doing something that he likes. He will open up and he'll talk and, man, he'll tell you all about it or his job. I mean, he'll just wear you out. But if you don't take time to do that with him, you'll never see that side of it. You see, you want to be a woman that's irresistible, then you need to be a woman that's willing to come on the other side and get involved. Now, don't go and say, I want to go with your vision every time. I don't want to ruin his life. (laughs) Just every once in a while, come on in. Water's just fine. And communicate with him. You know, women, they go to a deer stand, they bring coffee and, and, and everything that stinks and smells. And you know that day you ain't going to kill a deer. But that day, don't, it, it shouldn't matter. Open up, whether it be fishing. But listen, ladies, forget it. There's only one or two golden nuggets in this house that like shopping. And I'm not one of them. I like to buy, but I don't like to shop. And I've learned there's a big difference. You see, some women get their fulfillment in shopping. I mean, it's just like you have shot the most massive deer, and and, and it's the highest point, and it's a trophy, and you don't care how much you got to pay to have it put on the wall. That don't communicate to your wife. But it communicates you hunters, don't it? That's what shopping does to one who has the gift, not buying, shopping. See, same thing. So, ladies, forget your men understanding. Well, why don't you just go shopping with me? You want to drive us up the wall? Have you ever heard nails go down a, a board at school? Well, that's what shopping does to me. But when you're there and you tell me what you want to buy and what it looks like and give me a picture and turn me loose, I'll find it and be proud as a peacock that I did. See, there's a big difference. The third thing is physical attractiveness. Now, in Tennessee, they have barns when you go to... Uh, Dollywood, and you go up through going to Knoxville, you'll see these big barns, and out on the side of the barn is a sign. Now, the barns that look good to me are the ones that's got paint on it, a red barn. But there are a lot of barns that they let them just kind of run down and don't look as good. But they got their sign up, whatever they're advertising. Now, ladies, I don't want to be ugly. And I know that the Bible talks about that true beauty is from the inside. But some of you need to paint the barn a little bit. (laughs) If you want your husband to be attracted, 
understand how important. Some of you say, I just don't believe the Bible says you ought to put something on like. I guarantee you the Bible says more about putting it on than it does taking it off. And I can prove it to you. Now, I'm, I'm all for, look, you can look as sharp as anything that your husband thinks he could ever look at and have an ugly heart and have a, a, a sour puss and critical and condemning spirit. It ain't going to do you any good. But come on. Taking a bath every once in a while ain't going to hurt you. Washing your hair when you look like you need to change oil. Come on now. That ain't, that ain't cool. And the men can't say amen because they'll get killed. If your husband finds you attractive in private, tastefully, listen to me. I'm not talking about the way the world uh, dresses you up. I'm talking about modesty is the New Testament. Amen? And being very tasteful and very good about what, uh, what should be done. He will be proud of you in public. And look, I'm, and my wife knows how I feel about this, and this is nothing. She don't, she don't do this no more because I think it's wrong. I think for you women to go to your husband and say, do you think I'm fat? You think we're going to answer that? If you got to ask me if you think you're fat, then you already know. Then why don't you join you a club and get to exercising and lose some of that? Let me tell you something. Uh, a man ought to do the same thing. You think God wants us to go around looking like a, 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 a side of a barn? You weren't attracted to that when you got married, and you're not attracted to that now. And by the way, carrying all that weight is not healthy. It will take you out early. And if you've got grandkids, you need to stay, along, stay uh, on this earth as long as you can. There's nothing wrong with exercise. <laughs> I know there's some ladies, they, they buy the, what do you call it, at the Y or something. And, and they got these classes you can go to. I ain't going to them classes. No, because they're going to require something out of you. And you just go sit in a hot tub thinking you're losing weight. And then go and have you a latte and, and all this high-powered sugar stuff and gain that weight. Let me tell you something. I just personally believe God expects us to take care of the temple. And the temple is where the Holy Spirit dwells. And the Bible says that we are to take care of it. Amen? Yeah, some of you are not going to shake. I wouldn't shake my hand either. But listen, physical attractiveness is important. Domestic support is important. What's that mean? That your home, ladies, ought to be a place of refuge for your husband. Don't go dragging all that stress into the home when your husband gets there. Don't do that. It ought not be a refugee camp. It ought to be a place where he can come home and feel like you do. Don't you, don't you love your home? Don't you, don't you women just love to clean it? Some of you go, yeah, no. Well, hire somebody. Take care of it. But look, the home is not... The house. And, and when you bring it home, you women are the only one that can control this. Let it be a place of refuge. 
for your husband. And then fifthly, admiration. What's that mean? Your husband loves to be honored. There's two needs of a man. One is that S-E-X, and two, that a man is honored. By who? By his wife. That means you must tell him that he has done something honorable. It's a need of ours. Do you think we like to, we wake up in the morning and go to bed at night and want to be criticized by the very one we committed our life to? No. We need to be honored by you. Your husbands need to have admiration that he, they don't have to worry about that, that, the, that the wife is going to lift up that husband. We already know what we do wrong. How about every once in a while tell us something we do right? How many of you, when you woke up this morning, you had a prayer, Lord, I want my children to grow up and be very known at defects. I want them to be known in the juvenile court. Lord, I want them to be public servants. And by the time they're 14, 15 years old, they're in jail, being fed free every day. Now, how many of you praying that for your kids? I didn't think it was. Father, and I close with this, passed the bedroom and was astonished to see that the bed was made and that it was nice, and everything in the room was picked up, but there was an envelope on the bed. He kind of had that funny feeling as he went and noticed that on the outside of that letter, it said, Address to Dad. And here's what it said. Dear Dad, it was with great regret and sorrow that I'm writing this to you. I had to elope with my new girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with you and Mom. I've been finding real passion with Jolene, and she's so nice. And even all with her body piercing and tattoos. But it's not only that. It's, Dad, it's not just passion she's expecting. Jolene said, we'll be real happy. I know you don't care for her as much as because she's older than I am. But she already owns her own trailer, Dad, in the woods. And, and she has a stack of firewood for the winter. She wants to have many more children with me, and, and that, that, that's now a dream of mine. Jolene taught me that marijuana doesn't really hurt anyone, and we'll be growing it for us and trading it with our friends so we can have all this cocaine and all this other stuff we want. In the meantime, we'll pray that science will find a cure for AIDS because Jolene can be better since she has AIDS. And, and Dad, she's so fine, and she deserves to be healed. Don't worry, Dad. I'm 16 years old now. I know how to take care of myself. Someday, I sure, I'm sure we'll be back to visit you so you can get to know your grandson and your grandchildren, your son, John. After he picked everything up out of his shoes, he noticed a P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. I'm over at the neighbor's house and I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than my report card, card that's in the middle drawer of my desk. <laughs> I love you, Dad. Call me when it's safe to come home. <laughs> we all know those feelings. <clears throat> and I put my dad and mom through a lot of stuff while they were living to hit some of those bad areas. <clears throat> 
But one thing's for sure. I believe the Bible's clear that the third point is the hub of the home. If you're going to be a real dad and look like a real dad, you'll be the head of your home. You'll have the heart of your home is your wife. And the hub of your home is being that person that God wants you to be and being involved in your kid's life, being involved in your wife's life, and being that irresistible man. And you women, you want to hurry that up? You be that irresistible woman that he married and that he was attracted to when he got married. Would you stand with me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Father.